Hi, welcome to Quiet Connection, a podcast dedicated to ending the stigma around postpartum mental health. I'm Chelsea. Today I get to talk to one of my best friends, Steve. He's a dad of two, and he talks to us about his experience with postpartum depression. Hello, I am here with Steve, who is actually one of my very best friends, and I am so thankful that he is here sharing his story with us. Steve, how are you? I am fantastic. How are you? I am. I'm okay. You're going to have to excuse my voice. I'm fighting off a cold that my girls have decided to share with me, but I'm glad that you're fantastic. Fantastic is good. Yeah, fantastic is good. This past week has been a much needed reprieve from not fantastic. Well, good. I'm thankful for that. Me too. Um, well, I'll start this off how I kind of start off with everyone. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, my name is Steve. I'm 36, going to be 37 this year. I'm a father of two. I have a almost six-year-old little girl and an almost three-year-old little boy. I'm a salesman by necessity and a musician by passion. And that's that's kind of about it. <laughs> in a nutshell in a, in a nutshell that's me who were you before you were a dad before i was a dad i was a musician who sold things for a company i was a more energetic and passionate person mm. <laughs> and my wife and i i mean we were only married for three months before we got pregnant with our first kid planned but not necessarily my my plan. Mm. Um, I had kind of wanted a little bit more time between getting married and having a home and starting a family, but we agreed to a shorter timeline. But I played a lot of gigs. Uh, actually, right up until the week before my daughter was born, I worked at a lumber yard. So Monday through Friday, I was hefting lumber and windows and doors and stuff. and and playing flag football and playing music and doing all kinds of wild, reckless things. Did you always picture yourself as a dad? No, never. No. I never thought I'd be a dad. And truth be told, I never wanted to be a dad. Um, I am very thankful I am a dad. I don't want anyone listening to think that I regret this decision at all. I don't. But um, it just wasn't anything that I thought I wanted, thought I'd be good at. It wasn't part of any plan I had. And um, when did that change for you? That changed when my wife and I started to get serious. She was someone I knew in high school. We lost touch. I mean, we weren't ever super close in high school, but I like I dated one of her friends and we were always kind of circling around each other's orbit, I guess. But uh, I graduated, went to college in Vermont. She wasn't somebody that was kind of in my group to communicate with once I left school. And she graduated and went to New York and then moved to Virginia. I moved to Massachusetts, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Life (laughs) brought us back together. We started hanging out, spending some time together, having some fun. And then uh, as the relationship got more serious, she was like, so just so you know, I think she was 28 at the time. She's like, just so you know, uh, I'm going to be married and have a kid before I'm 30. So if this is going to be something more than just us having fun and it's going to be serious, that's something you need to be okay with. And that's something you need to be part of if you're going to be, if you're going to do this. And I had foolishly fallen head over heels 
And you told me that she was one of the best things that could have happened to me. So, <laughs> um, oh boy, yeah, I, no, no blame, no blame. Um, you are right though. So I was like, all right, I I want to be with you. So if that's what's gonna happen, that's what's gonna happen. And that's, and that's how you. That was your journey to to sort of accepting fatherhood. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't think I've. I think the acceptance happened like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm 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 with you there. I still I still don't know if I feel like a parent. Yeah. I just have two kids who live in my house with me. Yeah. Yeah. What's one of your favorite things about being a dad? Oh man. One of my favorite things. I have two. And the first is when I'm because I still do actively perform music when I'm at a show that my kids are able to go to seeing them get excited that their dad is up there. That's really cool. So that is so cool. Um, one of the, there's a place down the street where I get to play solo acoustic shows and, um, they'll come out and dance and like come on stage and hold my leg and they just get really, <laughs> they get giddy. Sometimes it's annoying. Cause I'm like, God, I'm trying to do something here, man. <laughs> Can can your mother parent you while we're here? <laughs> but um, I mean, to be fair to her, too, usually when she's out there, it's like a group of 12 people that have all come out to hang out and have dinner and stuff. So everyone's kids are playing and going a little little nutty, but that's really cool. And then the second is my my wife is a teacher, so I should throw that out there just in case anybody gets the wild idea that I put any of the good stuff in our kids. They. <laughs> They get their looks from me, but they get everything else from their mother. Um, <laughs> like this morning, I was setting up this stuff for the podcast to be able to record and all that. And um, my son was standing next to me and he's he's had a fever the last couple of days and he's finally coming out of this cold he's got. So he and I spent the last two days together in my bedroom while I'm trying to work from home and he's coughing and napping and watching shows. But this morning he's standing next to me and I had my headphones on doing some stuff and I turned around and I said, Hey buddy. And he just put his hand on my arm and goes, hi dad. Mm -hmm. Just those little moments are so adorable. Yeah. They, they get me. Yeah. Kind of, kind of makes it worth it. Yeah. Kind of. Kind of. In that moment. <laughs> in that moment. Yes. Yeah. So what was, I'm going to take you back to when you had your daughter, when your wife mm -hmm. had your daughter. Yep. What was that birth experience like for you? So when Talia was born, my whole life has been really goofy. And I mean that in a way of like, I've always tried to be the goofy person. Mm -hmm. um, and luckily, my wife is also a goofy person. <laughs> and the delivery was goofy. Like <laughs> She was uh, induced at like nine o'clock in the morning on a Monday, Talia wasn't born until 845 the following Tuesday morning. So like a full 24 hours of trying to get a baby out of her mm -hmm. without a C-section. And when she started to crown, my, my daughter had a huge head of hair. <laughs> and the doctor, while having my wife take a break from pushing, started to play with my daughter's hair, <laughs> which was the only part of her sticking out of my wife's body. I'm holding my wife's leg one of her legs and the doctor's playing with her hair and goes, well, she doesn't take after her dad. <laughs> and for all those who are listening and not, I'm bald. So, that's, <laughs> um, but I, I 
I'm, I know I remember this differently than Anne does, but it didn't seem like she pushed very long leading up to it was a day, but I feel like the actual delivery probably took 15, 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, but I remember they corkscrewed her out. They cleaned her up a little bit later on and, and instantly she tried to start nursing and we cut the cord and waiter and all that stuff. And I remember thinking that everybody has told me when they saw their kid, that's when they like knew true love for the first time and all this stuff. And I remember looking at Talia thinking, wow, that's my daughter. Like it was, it was really cool. It was kind of mind blowing, but I didn't feel this love that everyone talked about. But what I did feel was this huge rush of love for Anne. Mm. Like seeing her do that, I had never loved her more than I did then. Wow. That's that's where my emotions went. Wow. That's really cool. So you definitely recognize like this is my daughter. Wow, that's a really big thing. Yeah. But you did you necessarily have like that instant bond with no. her? Nope. No. Um, when did that come? Uh, I don't think that came until maybe like a month after. Okay. What did that look like for you? Kind of when I was able to actually do something. Mm. When when I was able to comfort her at night or when she was able to take a bottle and I could feed her, things like that. I had one of the things that was really cool right off the bat and I think gave me a little bit of something. I wouldn't necessarily call it a full-on connection, but gave me some kind of emotion towards her other than, oh, you're my kid. Um, <laughs> I, Anne used to make me sing to her in, in her stomach all the mm -hmm. time. And this was back when I was petrified to sing at all, unless it was on stage and I was a backup singer. Um, <laughs> so I'd like put headphones in <laughs> so I could sing along to a song and then I'd sing to Anne's stomach. But it seemed... I'm not a doctor and I'm not trying to make any claims here, but it seemed like she could recognize my voice. Mm -hmm. It seemed like when I talked or sang to her, she kind of perked up a little bit and that, that felt really good. But, um, when, when I was able to start like actually being a part of watching her and caring for her was when I kind of started to feel more of a connection for her. It, it took a, a hell of a lot longer with my son though. Did it tell me about that? Yeah. <laughs> For the first, like when, when he was born, I was like, he was cute. It was during COVID. <laughs> so already fight or flight had been put in place. And I, I was very cautious of it. I was very aware of it. I was not as, um, uh, I don't want to say fearful, but maybe that's the best word to use as other people in my bubble at that time. So between the isolation and being in a hospital with your mask on, trying to watch your wife deliver with a mask on, like it, it was a lot. And then the company I'm with now that I was with when my son was born, gave us two weeks of paternity leave. And my mother, my mother-in-law lived with us while the, the two or three weeks after he was born. So for paternity leave, I would wake up and like give my daughter a high five, kiss my wife on the head and rub my son's head. And then I'd, come into my studio where I am now. And back then it was just a trashy, it was, it was considered a, an attached shed. Mm. And I, I spent two weeks gutting it and I couldn't even like take a break to go say hi to anybody. Cause all the nastiness that was in the walls. So everybody was on board with it. I wasn't like saying, screw you. I'm going over here. Like it, mm -hmm. was, it was kind of the plan, but 
I just didn't feel anything. I shouldn't say anything. Didn't feel anything. I just didn't feel that connection. And when he cried, I was like, oh, shut up, dude. Mm. I know you're a kid, but just shut up. Just yeah. Go nurse and go to bed or something. And um, I felt horrible about it. <laughs> like I felt really, really bad. And I want to say it was like maybe six months before I was like, okay, I feel it now. Okay. So it was a very different experience than when, when your daughter was born. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you, prior to recording this, confided in me that you think that you or you you suffered from some postpartum depression, which mm. dads can. And do you feel like that was with both kids or more with your son? So I am diagnosed with depressive, I don't know what what the term is I have, but I'm, I'm a diagnosed person with depression. Mm -hmm. And, um, prior to my daughter being born, I had always been able to manage it without medication. Mm -hmm. And then after she was born, I could not deal with it without medication. So, um, I, I think just the, the stress and anxiety of being a parent, speaking of one of them trying to break, um, kind of put me <laughs> into a place where I needed medication to be able to, to be able to handle my depression. Um, mm -hmm. and, I think that after Elliot was born, that was when I probably suffered like a postpartum okay. episode. It hit harder after Elliot. Yeah. Do you think a lot of that may have had to do with the situation we were in with the pandemic? I, I think that was probably the the leading cause of it. I was already so like amped up, stressed out. Yeah. Like, I was a I was a salesman for an industrial sector of power systems, which I won't go into because it doesn't really matter. But <laughs> when the pandemic hit, one of our biggest customers was US Steel. The pandemic hit and the steel industry tanked. Mm. The pandemic hit and the aerospace industry tanked because no one was flying. So I was a West Coast sales rep and the majority of my customers were aerospace and steel. So like my business segment died. Mm -hmm. And Thankfully, instead of being let go, I was retained by the company, moved back to a previous position and everything worked out. But worrying about my job and our health care and our income while also my wife has given birth and there's an infant and there's all this stuff like it was just like everything. <laughs> yeah, everything all at once. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you have a history of a mental health diagnosis. Are there any other... Did you ever struggle with anything else? Is this something you struggled with your whole life? So I I have only been diagnosed for six years. Okay. Um, however, it is something that I am confident I've had forever. Okay. Um, looking back on like how I managed my life in high school, that's that was not a healthy thing. Like I I had a good time in high school. Like high school was okay, but some of the things that I thought some of the things that I did just were not healthy things. And then my father has depression. And I mean, I, <laughs> I experienced a breakup as everybody does. And, um, for like three days after I, I, I would sleep from seven o'clock at night to like eight o'clock in the morning, which on a farm will get your ass kicked. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then I'd, get up and walk downstairs and the physical act of getting out of bed and walking downstairs would exhaust me to the point where I'd sleep for another like four hours. Wow. And it like that, that kind of spell 
and like a fever kind of broke one day and I was, I was out of it. But yeah, it's, I've, I've definitely, you know, to, to self-diagnose, I believe that I've been depressed for my, the entirety of my life post adolescence. Mm-hmm. Is it something that you find your find that sort of comes in cycles? Like, is it repeating? Is it something that you're still dealing with? It's definitely something I'm still dealing with. I think that what ends up happening is that I will have a really great span of time and then something will hit and it'll like, it'll kind of be the straw that broke the camel's back situation Mm -hmm. where all of a sudden I'll just crumble. And that kind of happened with COVID and a lot of things have changed since 2020. Um, not just in the world, but personally with myself, with my marriage, with my family, all that, that have kind of led to a lot of insecurities that I thought I didn't have anymore. <laughs> they mm. were just like, oh, hey, buddy. No, we're still here. We're, <laughs> we've been with you for so long. Why would you want to get rid of us? We're buddies. I <laughs> think um, humor coping, coping mechanism. There. Uh, oh, yeah. But I'm also, you know, I've got my own therapist now. We have a couple's counselor, couples therapist, whatever you want to call it. Um, so, and my wife has her own counselor as well. So we are, we're taking the proactive steps to work on things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, I think it could be cyclical. That would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can, I can point to like events or stressors that kind of started the, the cycle over again, where mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure it would have happened without those catalysts. How do you feel like when you're in that space, how do you feel like it affects your ability to parent your kids? Um, It feels like they get all of my energy because I'm most concerned about their response to my condition. Okay. Like at work, luckily I can be kind of short and curt with people without Mm. offending them. Like the majority of people I work with work in steel mills or work in plating shops and none of them are looking for flowery conversation anyways. <laughs> so if someone calls up, I can be like, yeah, I got it. Yeah, it's this much. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Have a good day, bud. Like I don't have to be missed. I don't have to put on too much of a fake happy face at work. And unfortunately my wife, knowing that I'm depressed, she also suffers with depression and anxiety. So knowing it inside and out, I have kind of lately, um, and <laughs> I don't want to say it's unfair to her. I think it kind of is, but at the same time we've done it to each other. Um, it's like, well, you know what I'm going through. So the, the energy right now is going to the kids because they Mm. don't understand it. We've told them, look, mom and dad both have this mental disorder. It affects us this way. Sometimes we're sad for no reason. Sometimes mommy and daddy curl up in a ball on the couch and they cry under a blanket and you are welcome to come talk to us and give us a hug. You can ask us questions. Um, they're very aware of that, but you know, they're fucking three and six. They don't get it, you know? No. So a lot of my energy goes to that. And I definitely have a shorter, but my, my bowl of patience is a lot uh, more shallow when I'm in one of those places than normal. You kind of led into the next question kind of beautifully. Like how, how do you approach this with your kids? Like you said, you talked to them about how like mommy and daddy, suffer from this disorder and is there a way that you found to make it something that they can sort of understand at their level so the the best way we've i think that we've been able to get them to understand it is that you know sometimes people are sad and sometimes they're sad because something happened 
or because they saw something that made them sad or heard something that made them sad. But mommy and daddy sometimes get sad just out of nowhere. Sometimes mm. the sadness doesn't have a reason. It's not because somebody did something. Sometimes we're just sad. And um, that seems to have made sense to them. Mm-hmm. Um, Talia more so than Elliot. I mean, Elliot's three. He doesn't understand too much. But Talia, um, I, I mean, there have been mornings when Anne has been out of the house for any number of reasons. And I'll be on the couch and I'll just be in one of those spots and I'll start crying. And she'll come up and say, Daddy, are you okay? Be like, yeah, Daddy's just daddy's just sad today Mm. well what happened well dad it's one of those days where daddy's just sad because he's sad there's no good reason daddy's just sad and then she'll ask if i want a hug or if i want to snuggle and she does the caring nurturing thing which the first few times she did that i felt kind of guilty like i'm the parent don't do this to me i'm supposed to do this to you Mm -hmm. but then after a while i was like well she has seen us do this to each other and do this to her and do this to her brother so she's modeling what she's seen us do and it's making me feel good so dang we're good parents man yeah (laughs) that that felt that was a really nice realization to have talk about empathy this kid's got a ton of it yeah do you find that your kiddos are more easily able to express how they're feeling because you and Anne are able to openly express how you guys are feeling. I think they have less fear about showing their emotions. I don't know that like Talia still has a hard time verbalizing how she's feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, but she has no fear (laughs) of letting people know if she's sad or happy (laughs) or angry. She's very, uh, forthcoming with her, (laughs) with her emotions, but being able to like explain and, and say, I'm upset because this happened and being able to like take a step back and have conversations about it. Like, I mean, she's five, so we're still having those talks, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, the both, both kids are, there's no question as to what kind of mood they're in. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of a kid thing, but it also speaks to your guys' parenting style. Like you guys being so open, um, yeah. has probably allowed them to, to be open about how they're feeling. So when you realized, um, when Elliot was born and you realized that you weren't necessarily bonding with him immediately and you were having some of these like feelings of depression, how did that affect your relationship with your partner? Um, I don't really think it affected us too much. Anne was pretty understanding, I think. That's great. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things she just kept saying is it'll happen. He's your son. It'll happen. It's it's going to happen. And don't feel bad about it. Like, it's okay. She's really supportive, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, for as much grief as we give each other, especially in couples counseling, <laughs> with <laughs> the way the last three years have existed in our lives, I got to give her a lot of credit. She's She's been a rock for me when, even when it felt like she hasn't been, she's, she's been pretty kick-ass. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, she was really, really supportive, really um, reassuring. And she just kind of gave me the space to work on it on my own and let it happen. She didn't try to force anything. Um, That's amazing. She would, she would do things like, Hey, let's go for a walk as a family. Talia wants to walk with me. Why Mm. don't you walk with Elliot? And, um, I mean, I think that helps. And I mean, again, I think what kind of turned it with Elliot was when he and I started to interact more. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it is the, the fact that I never sought out to be a dad. Mm. So like seeing a child that has my genes didn't 
trigger anything for me. Your kids literally have your face. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky devils. Um, <laughs> but they like, I looked at them and I was like, yeah, they're, I mean, I still think my kids are the cutest kids in the world, but I never with Elliot, I didn't look at him and think, oh, I want to spend every second with him. Mm. I just didn't have that. And then when we started to interact and I was like, oh, you're like a, you're a, you're a person. You're a, you're human. You're not just a lump that, <laughs> that you're not just the parasite that came out of my wife. And now you're feeding like you're, you're a, a thing. Like I can talk to you and you can go, blah, 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 blah. you can do all these things back to me. <laughs> That's when it clicked. And now the struggle I have is I think he's fucking hilarious. He is so funny. <laughs> and he just like he he talks all the time even though you can't understand a single thing he says <laughs> and he makes all these cute just i mean it's not that bad he he very clearly is trying to say things he's just saying them how he hears them or yeah. how he thinks there's and it's just so it's ridiculous but but he's just they're both so polite they're tiny. He's two and a half. He's going to be three in June. Mm -hmm. And I brought him water this morning. He goes, thanks, dad. Aww. Thanks, Taya. Thanks, mom. Like he, and it's adorable. Um, oh my gosh. But now, like when I can interact and do stuff, it's like, yeah, let's fucking hang out. Let's go do something. Let's, let's laugh and joke. And they've got ukuleles that they call their guitars. So I'll bring my guitar out and we all just kind of strum strings together. And they've got toy microphones they sing into and. Do you find that music brings you guys together? Oh, for sure. Yeah. They, I mean, they beg to come into my studio just so they can play drums. And they take turns on the drum kit and they have their own drumsticks. And I'll <laughs> plug in a guitar and they'll just beat the heck out of those things. And I'll just start, <laughs> make sure everybody has headphones on. And then I'll just start playing some guitar and we all hang out. And I plugged a microphone in for Talia a couple of weeks ago. So Elliot was playing drums. I was playing guitar and she was making up lyrics in the microphone singing through a speaker that's so cool yeah do you We're think that be... helps do you think that helps you at all with connecting with them yeah i think so yeah music's yeah. a huge part of your life yeah 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 i love seeing the videos of them <laughs> rocking out to <laughs> queen <laughs> talia especially talia seems oh, yeah. to be all about queen yeah oh yeah yeah we uh I'm trying to get him into heavier stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot, Elliot will do it. Talia has more of an opinion. Mm. Um, but Elliot and I, I took him to the doctors the other day and uh, I got in the car. He's like, you want to listen to some rock and roll, buddy? Yeah. So I started with Foo Fighters and he was of all about course. it. And then I was like, let's go, let's do the Foo Fighters like death metal album they put out for their, <laughs> their horror movie. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as he started, as soon as I started going, he got this big smiling bouncing around in the seat yeah you and me buddy we're gonna go to a metal show so jumping around a little bit mm -hmm. what types of supports did you have you said you had your mother-in-law staying with you was that what with both kids when both kids were born yes okay did you did you sort of communicate to her or to anybody for that fat for that matter that that you might have been struggling a little bit with your mental health i didn't talk to her about it I, well, not then I've since talked to her cause her, her and her whole family have struggled with it. So she's been a good resource more recently. Mm -hmm. Um, talk to Anne. Yeah. That was, I talked to you a little bit. You did. Um, but that was 
pretty much it. Did you feel like there were resources available to you or for dads specifically, like who are struggling with this? No, not at all. And to be completely honest, I feel like me being on this podcast is a little bit like offensive. <laughs> no. Um, Cause it's just, it's one of those things like when I complain about my butt, my self body image, mm-hmm. if I complain about it in mixed company, then inevitably there's a woman who gets offended mm-hmm. because women have struggled longer than men. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I always say is I'm not talking about women's image or women's issues because they're 100% real. I'm not trying to take away from that at all. What I'm talking about is my experience mm-hmm. and me having an experience doesn't lessen yours. Exactly. And you having an experience that is completely different than mine doesn't negate mine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, postpartum depression isn't something that's talked about with that. It's something that happens with moms exclusively in parentheses or quotations <laughs> um, <laughs> because there is a physical chemical reaction that's occurring that is, uh, I don't want to say aiding, but, you know, making it more present. Mm-hmm. But it's also, I think, something that can happen to dads. It is something that can happen to dads. And I, in our support group on Facebook, I always preface everything with, I'm not a medical professional and I'm not a mental health professional. But through the research that I've done and through working with the psychotherapist who is also um, in our support group, postpartum depression is absolutely real in male partners. And just because your body isn't going through the hormonal changes that the the birthing partner is going through, you're still going through, you can still be going through some pretty intense chemical changes in your brain and you're going mm-hmm. through high stressors and it is real and it's not talked about. Yeah. So no, you are not being offensive by being on this podcast. You are very brave for being on this podcast. I've been so excited to record with you because I wanted a male perspective and I'm proud of you for telling well, your you. story. I'm proud of you for starting this podcast. Thanks. What do you think you wish you would have known before becoming a parent? Oh, my God. So much. The only education I had for being a parent was watching a doll in high school that had a key. You had that program? I had that program. So we watched a doll for 24 hours unless you were unlucky enough to be someone that got it on a Friday and then you had it for the weekend. And you couldn't take the key off and they programmed the doll to be easy, medium or difficult. And you had to put the key in the doll and turn it and hold the key there until it stopped crying. Oh, that was it. That's all you had to do was just hold a key. That's all I had to do. That's the extent of my education of being a parent. And then I had kids. Wow. So I wish somebody would have told me that kids are more resilient than you think. Mm hmm. Because I, I mean, rightfully so, had this understanding that kids would break if you touched them wrong. <laughs> so as, I mean, I'm much larger now than I was when Talia was born, but being an ex-football player, farm guy, large, muscular build, I'm like, I have to treat this infant like she is an egg. Mm. I can't do anything wrong or I will kill her. Oh my God. 
So every time someone handed her to me, I'm like, oh God, come here, come here. Let's hold, I'm going to sit down. I'm not going to stand up, not going to go anywhere. Like I was petrified. (laughs) Um, And one of the things that I have come to accept that I wish I had gone into it just accepting was, this is probably a pessimistic way of saying it, but everyone is going to screw up their kids somehow. Mm -hmm. And the best thing you can do as a parent in my opinion, is teach your kids how to manage their emotions. Because the worst thing for a human is to experience, from my personal experience, is to experience these emotions and not know how to talk about them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm going to do something wrong. I probably already have. And that's fine. (laughs) We all have. Yeah. But like my daughter and I, she's she knows how to push every single button bedtime. She's almost six. She doesn't want to walk upstairs. So she walks like she's got a back problem and she's 90 degrees at her hip crying, fake crying, asking me to carry her because two seconds earlier she was running around like she was fighting a dragon in a jungle and she used up all her energy. So she needs me to carry her upstairs. No, just walk <laughs> up the stairs. Creative. She, so extremely. Creative. But it's like, just walk up the stairs, dude. I know you have the energy. Guess what? Dad's body is broken right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I slept weird last night with my wife's leg over mine and no joke. My back hitched five times walking down the stairs. Oh my God. So it's like, it's I'm not really fun being a millennial right now we are are at the age now where just existing creates back problems oh my god i'm 36 i shouldn't hurt this much (laughs) i mean like i said i did a lot of reckless stuff when i was younger so it makes sense but so we like we end up screaming at each other and it's just like i'm i'm in her bedroom with my son, she's standing at the doorway at the opposite end of the hall to the bathroom, screaming, crying. At this point, probably actually crying. I can't walk. I'm like, you are standing on your two feet. You walked from the toilet to the bathroom door. Walk down the hall. <laughs> and then when we finally are in the bedroom and she's changed and both of us have calmed down, what I've recognized and what I do. Not that I'm saying this is how people should do it. I'm just sharing my experience is after that explosion of energy and emotion, we sit down and I'm like, look, I should not have spoken to you like that. That was rude. That was unkind. What do you need from me right now to feel better? She'll tell me and it's usually a hug or a kiss or whatever. And then I talk it out and I'm like, look, this is why I was feeling frustrated. This is why I spoke that way. Not that it was okay. Not that it was fair, but I want you to understand why I spoke that way Mm -hmm. so that maybe we can treat each other better next time. Mm -hmm. And she always goes to bed with a smile on her face. That's so good. So look at you, look at you with your parenting advice and skills. No, that's so important though to process with your kids. Yeah. It's, it's a big deal. So knowing what you know now about your experiences with, bonding with Elliot and like, and what that looked like, what resources would have been helpful to you or could be helpful to partners moving forward who find themselves in this situation? If there was an abundance of information about resources at the hospital, because one of the things, and I mean, 
the the woman just pushed a child out of her body. She needs the attention. But I also think that there needs to be like, hey, I need you to know this before you leave. Mm-hmm. Here are the resources for mother and father. Mm-hmm. Like, it is important that you know this. You know, I don't even know if the resources exist for dad, though. That's true. You know, like from what I've found, I have found very limited resources in terms of support groups for for dad or partners mental health. Yeah. The the only resource that I am actively aware of is standard therapy. Yeah. Like here's here's a phone number to call. Yeah. I know that, and I've posted this on the um, support group, but Postpartum International has some resources for dads. But other than that, like I, there's just a couple. Hmm. What what would what would that look like for you if you were designing it? I'm putting a lot of pressure on you now. If you were going to design something for partners, I don't want to just exclusively say dads, but the the partner yeah. in the relationship without mm-hmm. the burden of birthing. Um, what would that look like? Hmm. Boy, if I could do it anyway, I would have my ideal would be a once a week in-person group or virtual group. However, people chose to meet Mm -hmm. with one-on-one calls in the same week. Mm. Like I'd love to be able to get together with a group, share my experience, share what I'm going through, hear other people's experiences so we could spit all ideas off each other and then be able to sit down with a therapist or a counselor or a crisis specialist or whoever is available Mm -hmm. um, to really dig into my specific stuff. Yeah. And part of that comes from my experience with couples counseling and individual counseling, being able to talk openly with my wife and with our therapist counselor about things we're experiencing allowing those conversations to maybe shine a couple lights on things for myself and then take that back to my individual session mm-hmm. and be able to talk about it. I think that's way more helpful than people can understand if they've never experienced it. Yeah. Talk therapy doesn't, doesn't work for everyone, but it just seems like connection is huge, yeah. especially in this situation. Connection is huge. Finding your community. Yeah. Yeah. And having other, knowing that someone else has felt this way mm-hmm. or experienced what you're experiencing. Yep. I don't know what it is because it doesn't, it doesn't make it go away. No. Well, it's like, it's like music, you know, finding, finding those are the lyrics that connect and resonate because of an experience you've had or a moment you've gone through and recognizing like, Hey, the person that wrote this went through it too. Mm-hmm. The person that, you know, all the Slipknot fans that have huge frustrations and angers and these, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I got into them when I was in high school, hearing the stuff that they were singing about. Most people couldn't understand the lyrics, but hearing the stuff they're singing about (laughs) is someone that could understand what they're saying. Um, It's like, God, yeah, there's nine people on that stage that know exactly how angry I am. That Mm -hmm. know exactly how depressed I am. I'm not alone. Then you go to a show and you're like, look at all these people that feel the same way I do. Yeah. For, and everyone has a different reason, but it's all the same feeling. Yeah. So in finding your community in, in this aspect as well, like, man, look at all these people that feel the same way I do. Well, so that's why I've been so excited for you to record with me because 
while I don't have currently a large male following, um, according to my analytics, um, I'm hoping that this can kind of shine a light on on dads and partners who are going through this. Yeah. Because it is real. What would you say to a brand new dad or partner who may feel that that sort of shame and guilt around not connecting with their newborn right away? Well, I would say is <laughs> through my therapy sessions, what I would say <laughs> is what you're feeling is valid because it's what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to tell you to not feel it. But what I would say is feel it, experience it, but also give yourself the space and grace to be able to understand that this is not your choice. You're not choosing to not have a connection. There's a reason. And you know what? Maybe you won't ever feel a connection and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll feel it in a day. Maybe it'll take a year, but it's okay to feel how you feel. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's relationship is different. So you are not your feelings. Yep. Love it. So we've talked a lot about a lot of different things, but one of the common threads through this whole thing has been music and how music has been a big part of your life before kids. It's been a big part of your life since having kids. It's been sort of uh, a huge part of bonding with your kids and with your family. Why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the projects that you're working on right now? Okay. Um, the the biggest one for me is I am part of a band out of Massachusetts called The Dedications. Um, there are two records currently on all streaming services under the name Grey Bouchard. He's the lead singer. It's Grey Bouchard and The Dedications. Um, there is Dedication Songs, which is the first record. The second record is Love in the New World. And currently we are finishing mixing and mastering the third record for Grey Bouchard. And we are also working on our own collection of songs under the name, just the dedications. Um, we have one song streaming on Spotify right now called electric lies. Um, there is a new song coming out in the next couple of weeks. And if you give me a second, I can tell you the name of that song. <laughs> <laughs> it is not much time. And that will be out in the next week or so hitting Spotify and all other streaming services. And I can confidently say that you should check them out. I have listened to their um, records and I have also seen them live. Yes, you have. I have. And um, you could say I'm biased, but I (sighs) would like to say that I am not um, (laughs) and that it really is some pretty awesome music. So please check them out. Thank you. If you're local to Vermont, Steve also has several bands that he is in that do local gigs. He does some solo gigs. And again, I'm just throwing plugs your way, like (laughs) get out there, check out his stuff. But yeah, I am just so thankful that you were brave enough to share your story with us. Probably doesn't feel super brave. I don't know. I, you kind of, I kind of got the feeling a lot that you felt a little uncomfortable. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm thankful because I know that there will be a partner, there will be a dad, there will be someone who's going to relate to your story and it's going to help them sort of through their process. Thank you. I, uh, having a one-on-one conversation with you has always been easy. 
re- remembering that this was going to be a one-on-one conversation for people to listen to was a little weird. Uh, <laughs> only because there are things I say to you that I don't commonly say to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, hopefully there'll be somebody that hears it and goes, oh shit, thanks. I'm so glad that he said that. <laughs> yeah. I, and I so, know that there will be. Every yeah. episode so far, someone has reached out to me and be like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for for putting that out there because I can relate to XYZ. So I know that someone's going to relate to your story. Even if it's even if it's someone that's like, honey, you've got to listen to this one because, <laughs> because Steve just said this and I know <laughs> this is what you were saying. Yeah. But um, thank you again so much. Yeah, and anytime. It's, it's always fun talking to you. Yeah. Thanks again so much to Steve for joining us and giving us a dad's point of view on postpartum depression. If you want to follow along with us on Quiet Connection, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Quiet Connection or at Quiet Connection Podcast. You can find us on all your major podcast platforms like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Amazon, iTunes, and more. Join us next time where another story is told and you realize you are not alone. I see you.